Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today, we are going to crack the code on eternal security. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure or nothing. (laughs) Yeah, like if you've ever uh, wrestled with this, if you grew up in the church, you probably did, where uh, Calvinist churches teach that this -hmm. concept of eternal security, which uh, Arminians, that's the way the other mainstream of theology would go would teach uh would call that once saved always saved so the question we're going to address is when you accept christ and become born again and saved is that eternally secure and can never be taken from you you can never lose it you can never renounce it you can never lose it or is it in fact something that we have to um, stay faithful to and Arminians are also, there's an ethnic group called the Arminians, and I don't think they're related, uh, so don't yeah, get those too I, confused. Yeah, we didn't do much homework there. We'll talk about that in just a second. So let's get first with uh, Joe in our story time, and I think, John, is it my turn to tell a story? It is your turn to tell a story, and then my turn for show and tell. Okay. Well, um, I was thinking about a, uh, I was thinking about racing motorcycles. Oh. When I, when I was, um, when I was probably... I'm going to try to remember how old I was. I'm going to say I was 12 or 13. I started racing motocross, and I had a little motorcycle called a YZ80. Mm-hmm. 80 and for ADCC. Yeah, and I loved, I loved dirt bikes, and I loved racing motocross. However, I wasn't very good at it. I had <laughs> what you call style, but I did not have that fearless, I, I just want to go fast. You know, X I didn't factor. Have, yes. And so one night we raced, uh, we would go to this place, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, anyway, in Texas, and how old are oh, you? I'm sorry. Uh, 12 or 13. Okay. And so we went to this place. I think it was, I think it was Burleson. Anyway, we, we would drive out there pretty far away from our house and they had Friday night races. Awesome. And so, yeah, so, uh, I would race my brother, uh, got into a little later, so he wasn't into it yet. And then my friend Steve Steen, uh, he would race. Where do you meet these people, man? Steve Steen? Steve Steen. That's what his, what his, a name his, that is. Yeah, his dad, Joe Steen, was my dad's one of my dad's very best friends since high school. You've told us about Joe Steen before. I remember him because that's yeah. that's also a great name. Yes, and they called him JoJo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so they would always say, JoJo the dog face boy. He walks, he talks, he crawls on his belly like a reptile. Because why wouldn't uh, anyway, they say that? <laughs> yeah. So JoJo has a son named Steve. Now Steve is about three years younger than me, but we were friends because we were our families hung out together. So for sure, Steve raced, I raced, and then there was this uh, older guy named Frank who who got us all into dirt bikes in the beginning. He was friends with my dad and JoJo. Anyway, gotcha. Um, my dad was intensely competitive, and this story I'm about to tell you is one of the. Uh, stories that helped me realize when I was in college in a mental health class that I was too competitive. Mm. Um, I grew up extremely competitive. I didn't want to just win. I wanted to destroy my opponent. So this is a story of of self-betterment. It is because um, I realized in college that my dad had, uh, I had received a message from my dad that 
winners are loved and losers are rejected. Oh, my goodness. And so this story was one of the stories that made me reach that conviction. So we're there one Friday night, and uh, this is a this is a uh, this is a five lap race for the eighties for the kids on the eighties. Five laps is all. And is that not uh, a lot for motocross normally? uh, It is for it's about right for little kids, but normally for adults, you know, they would race fifteen or twenty laps. Jeez. So anyway. at a motocross track, you know, you start at a starting line. All the bikes are in one strong line, long line, yeah. and it funnels down at the start to a hairpin turn. And so at the start of the race, there is a cluster of bikes that all try to take that turn at the same time. For sure. And that's one of those funnest moments of racing. So um, this particular Friday night, um, I we go through that first hairpin turn, and every rider except me falls oh man i'm the only one left on my wheels and it's only a four or five lap race so you're thinking you got this thing in the back well i finished last no (laughs) so on the way home that night my dad says to me what happened well i told you i ride with style not with courage (laughs) now i later learned how to race with veracity Um, i raced my last race motocross race when i was 38 years old and at that point, I was riding hard. I was aggressive. I loved the first turn. I got mm-hmm. into it. But, you know, when I was a little kid, I didn't want to fall, didn't want to get hurt, and I didn't understand how to work the power band of a two-stroke. There's sure. lots to it. Anyway, anyway, on the way home, my dad says, hey, listen, um, I'm never coming back to watch you race ever again. And oh, I, said, I said, well, I don't, I don't blame you. I suck. He said, well, I talked to Frank and to JoJo, and they're going to keep bringing you so, cause, so you can race because um, they're going to keep coming, but I'm not coming back anymore. And so for the next, you know, six Friday nights, I, I rode with those guys and I would race. And every once in a while, my dad would show up. And those guys told me, man, when your dad's here, you ride like a totally different kid. But when he's not here, you're kind of like, do dee do dee do Sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. This kind of tells on my dad a little bit, but uh, I I started to realize, like, you know, I wanted to play golf because he was a golfer. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll buy your clubs, I'll pay your green fees, but you can't play golf with me till you can shoot 90 or better. Um, so I got really good at golf really fast so I could play golf with him. I was going to say, that's a, that's a very good score for a teenager. Oh, if you can that's shoot insane. 90, yeah, if you can shoot 90, you're in the top 15% of golfers in the entire world. Yeah, that's crazy to me. That's yeah. like saying I won't lift weights with you until you can bench like twice your body weight. Like that's yeah. yeah. At that yeah. point, it's like, why would I want to lift weight? You know, lift weights right. with you. Right. What? Well, anyway, think, what do you think your dad was going for with this? What well, was he his? wanted? He he wanted us to be the best at everything. He was kind of like uh, Ricky Bobby's dad. You know, if you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> that was kind sure. of my dad, and he was mega competitive at everything that he did. And we, you know, everything we played at home was fiercely competitive. Cards, darts, it didn't matter. Everything yeah. was a contest. And was all, were all your siblings competitive as well? Uh, they either were competitive or they didn't play. My sister, Judy, sure. she would she would tap out. She didn't want to compete. But the, the other three of us, it was pretty fierce. Well, what was the what was the adult <laughs> breakthrough of this? Well, uh, I'm sitting in a mental health class, and uh, several episodes with my dad – all snapped in my mind at the same time. One mm-hmm. of them was that one. 
um, the golf thing. There were there were several other hockey when I was when I started playing ice hockey. Uh, he never came to any games, and then I went. He sent me to Canada to hockey school, and I came back, and I went from being the third line on the B team to the first line on the travel team. And when that happened, he never Dang. missed a game. Yeah, I bet. Um, so uh, I just realized, you know, that that the message I got was that I had to earn his love and you had to earn it by being the best at everything. So uh, consequently, one day I'm playing tennis with my mom and I am just slamming tennis balls down her throat. <laughs> and she and threw her tennis. a friendly game or something. Right, right. And she throws her tennis racket at me and says, <laughs> that's it. And she walked off and I realized this isn't very nice, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that's a that's a peek behind the curtain of uh, the dis in my function. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that function that uh, segues pretty well, I think, into our into our conversation. But uh, this was one that you you brought to me, so I'll, I'll let you I'll let you bring us back into it. Yeah, and uh, maybe this isn't something that concerns you, John, and so maybe I'm missing an audience here completely, but. Um, I think there's a lot of questions about, you know, what does God expect from me and what all does the grace of Jesus actually do for me? Like, can I just party on since I've been forgiven right. or is there some performance standard that's as a, that that's at a minimum to keep my salvation? And so, um, am I eternally secure in the hands of Jesus or do I have to remain faithful to him as he's remaining faithful to me? Or I could what they call backslide and lose my salvation. Sure. Do you understand the question? Is that? Yeah. So this was interesting. I was actually just telling the story to Lindsay where uh, growing up, I had like no, there's a lot that I didn't know about the religion of Christianity. So like, I was at school and my buddy, uh, my buddy, Alan, we were in like the dorms or something. And he asked me a question about what I think about, I think it was, it might've been this very question, but he brought up the, the, the proper noun salvation. He said, you know, mm-hmm. you could, the, the act of losing your salvation. And it was like a different language. I was like, I don't think I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was <laughs> familiar obviously with the idea of what, what he was talking about. I knew the idea, but I didn't know the lingo. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's interesting to me the, I guess, the the language of it. So by salvation, you mean when you get to heaven, is your check paid for already or is it not? Or when, when, yeah. you, get to the, when you get to judgment? Yes. So um, let's, let's walk through the, 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 the five points of Calvinism. Just that way I can tell you how this, wor- how this is described, and that then describes how, we, how it's debated. Sure. So Calvinism— um, now they they did this thing where they summed up their do- five doctrinal points with the acronym TULIP. That's how you remember it. Hmm. And uh, here's one of the problems with Calvinism is they they wrote these five points to contradict the five points of Arminianism. That's a terrible way to build your theology is That's to pretty combative. try to disprove somebody else. But um, here they are: total depravity. That is that man is so depraved he's dead. And he's dead in his depravity, and he's so depraved, even he doesn't realize how depraved he actually is. Uh, the second one is unconditional election. That means God chooses to give some people eternal life, and uh, he decides that other people will not receive it, that this divine election takes place, 
and um, it's unconditional. Hmm. If he chose you, you're going to be saved. And if he doesn't choose you, there's nothing you can do. You're not going to be saved. Uh, hmm. The L is for limited atonement. The I is irresistible grace. That is that if you're exposed to the grace of Jesus, it is irresistible. You will accept it um, because his grace is so irresistible. Hmm. And then the P is the preservation of the saints. This is the one we're talking about. The preservation of the saints means that God preserves his people so that they can never be lost. That's the doctrinal position. And what I thought we would do, John, is we would look a little bit at the scriptures that uh, that Calvinists use to talk about this security that we have in Christ. And we'll try to understand what those scriptures teach us as a group. Sure. Then I thought we would look at some scriptures that that are the warning scriptures that kind of sound like uh, you better walk faithfully because you might lose this thing called salvation or eternal life. Yeah. Um, And then we'll reconcile those into uh, cracking the code. I think I've had recently this aha moment about how this all works together. So hopefully it'll be helpful to you. And um, I, John, am I capturing your imagination at all? Is this something interesting to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think I, (laughs) <laughs> i don't uh i don't know I, i'm it's it's rare i guess that that uh not that you show up excited for an episode but that you show up with this is what we're talking about and i can't wait yeah. so I, i'm more I, I more feel like i'm i'm almost in the audience which uh obviously i'm excited to engage with you but i'm excited to see what what, what we got in store okay know. well let's let's look at some of these guarantee scriptures and and um, see, the way I see this lived out normally, now it just dawns on me why you haven't had this conversation because I'm the only pastor you've ever had. And I don't talk about this because to me it's a non sequitur. So mm. uh, I remember when I was in high school, I should have told this story. I'm in high school, Spanish class. I've been a Christian about three months. And uh, there's You're all these pro. kids in my, spa- yeah, there's all these kids in my class that are, that all go to the Baptist church. And um, they, they are party animals, but they all say they're going to heaven when they die. And I find myself confused by this. And one day they make marijuana brownies for the Spanish teacher. Whoa. And uh, they're laughing while the teacher's eating them. And I'm, no and I'm like, way. yeah. And I'm like, um, I'm like, how, how do you do this? Like, how do you live without regard to sinful participation and yet still believe you're going to heaven. They said, hey, man, I have been saved and baptized. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's the end of the story. And so they had this, uh, this like a, like they had a insurance plan or something. Like they had a ticket in their pocket and that couldn't be taken from What them. happened to the poor teacher? <clears throat> oh, I think she kind of laughed and giggled. She pretended not to realize what they were, but I think she was quite thrilled with the, with the gift. Well, in a weird twist of fate, I'm kind of glad that she was thrilled instead of instead of having some kind of crisis about it. I don't know. That that's a horrific right. story. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hebrews chapter seven, verse twenty three to twenty five, talks about how the priest holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So, uh, one. Uh, other verse talks about the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. In other words, they don't, once you have this gift, it's never taken from you. Yeah. And so Hebrews kind of has that idea in chapter seven. And do you want me to, I have this list. Yeah. Let's, 
Yeah, let's kind of walk through this list of scriptures. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so next is also in Hebrews uh, 10, 11 through 15. And this is New King James Version. Um, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And that's the power sentence. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Yeah. And so the idea there is that the sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient and permanent, and he perfects us through that. Then 1 Peter one twenty three, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So your salvation is a supernatural act of God, which then cannot be undone because God's supernatural works are permanent. Uh, follows that with Second uh, Corinthians first twenty one or one twenty one through twenty two. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And that's a great verse, that, that we are anointed by Jesus. He put his seal of ownership on us, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So this this idea is that we can trust that. Like, uh, And I think uh, to kind of get ahead here for a second, the reason these verses are so important, so powerful, is that I find people who wonder, uh, even though they have a- accepted Christ and they've had an encounter with God, they wonder if God is somehow mad at them or they wonder if, in fact, they would go to heaven if they died today. They still struggle with that question. Yeah. And and these verses are designed, you know, God wants you to know that his sacrifice is sufficient for you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Yeah, and, and that's one of the, it's it's part of the grace of our um, faith, I guess. Like I know in, in Islam, one of the, uh, I don't think it's one of their five pillars or whatever, but one of the core theological beliefs is that nobody knows if you're going to get into heaven when you die. You just, you right. try your best and you hope, but nobody can say confidently that they will. Right. And virtually every religion on the world, except Christianity, teaches that at the end of the, at the end of your life, your good deeds will be weighed against your bad ones. And if your good ones sufficiently outweigh your bad ones, then you'll get into heaven. Or and if they don't, you're toast. Or you'll be reincarnated as someone better or... Yeah, you know. and get another try. Yeah. Uh, Romans eight thirty eight and 39. This is a great one. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come uh, nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an incredible promise that nothing can separate you from God's love. It's a great promise. I want to make a quick, a little pickle with this, with this list. Um, a lot of these, I wouldn't necessarily say that this one is like about salvation. I think it's about the faithfulness of God and that when you're walking with God, you know, you can't like Jesus will never not be with you. I think maybe at least in this one, that's where I would go with it rather than your salvation is eternal. Yeah, I think they're building a framework of principles that all together make this basket of security that you have in Christ. So not just about your salvation, but your ongoing daily experience as well. He won't leave you or forsake you. He is with you to the end. Sure. And so uh, these are not all directly about salvation, but they're about that comprehensive care that Jesus provides. The nature of of God in that way. Yeah, for those who are his. Sure. 
So then John 10, 27 yeah. to 29, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. This is a gift from him and they shall never perish. Uh, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Uh, my father's given to me and given them to me and I'm greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So the idea is um, once you're in the hands of Jesus, could you ever be pulled out? Could you ever slip out? Could you fall through the cracks of Jesus' hands? And the answer is no. When he's got you, he's got you. What about jumping out? Could you jump out of Jesus' hands? <laughs> we'll get there. Okay. Uh, next is Second Thessalonians seven sixteen through 17. He jumps to ESV for this one for some reason. Oh, and he did for Romans as well. Anyway. Yeah, and it's chapter 2, actually, not 7. There's not 7 chapters in the oh, book. Oh, sorry. So. Two, six, that's a vision problem, not a, oh, not a okay. comprehension problem. Uh, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort, oh, through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every great, every good work and word. Yeah, so he gave us, uh, loved us and gave us eternal comfort. That That's the thought there, that it's it's not temporary. Ephesians 1 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So this uh, presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a guarantee of your eternal life. It's like a deposit, a down payment. Yeah, yeah. First uh, John five eleven through thirteen, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and His life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. Who he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And, and that's you know wanting you to be able to know that you have eternal life. You know you yeah. were talking earlier. Some people don't know. Well, this is how you know. Uh, one more. Let's just do Titus 3, 4 through 7. It says this, When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So this is all, basically the way I would summarize all these scriptures is your relationship with God is entirely a work of Jesus. You did not earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't do enough good deeds. Um, you can't uh, think your way into it. Like it's entirely a work of Jesus. Therefore, this work of Jesus given to you, you can rest in that. You don't have to keep wondering, oh, did I do too many bad deeds today? Did I, did I fib? Did I mess up? Did I somehow you know, like some way, somehow you're going to wake up one day and not be a Christian anymore. Sure. Uh, because we all are broken. You and I talked about this, I think, in a recent episode about the brokenness of man. And somehow the grace of Jesus covers our brokenness. And we don't have to toss and turn at night wondering if we really are Christians, if we really are saved. That's yeah. a great that's a great thing. Yeah. No, that's awesome. All right. So the so here's the 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 the. Um, the problem that Calvinism is trying to solve here is the problem of you worrying about, oh, no, am I still saved? You know, the, the goal is for you to rest in the, the work of Jesus, receive comfort from him, 
and know that he's never going to change his mind about his love for you and his forgiveness for your sin. I've heard of the, um, of people that I know uh, having, specifically when they're in you know high school or, or, or younger, having this fear, though, that what if I'm not one of God's chosen in this Calvinist mm-hmm. kind of model? What if I didn't make that list and I'm a phony? Yeah. Now that's, that's another episode. We'll talk about divine election and where that idea comes from. And if that's really true, cause that's a very important conversation, but that, that really would take a whole episode to finish. Okay, sure. Uh, so here's the, here's the worry of like the church I came to faith in Christ in their worry is that if you so rest in the finished work of Jesus, that you won't participate, um, in fighting your sinful nature and you won't try to let the spirit have his work in you and you'll just party on like it's 1999 because, and you'll abuse his grace. So that's kind Mm. of the fear on the other side. And there's some scriptures that we'll just call them the sobering scriptures. These, these passages, if they don't scare you a little, then you're not really reading them. So yeah. And these are through a few of these. These are the Arminian ones or yes. Okay. Yeah. These are the ones the Arminians use to build their case. Sure. Um, so, uh, you'll get a, you'll get a taste for these as we go. Galatians five, one to four. Uh, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm there and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. And I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You were severed. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So there's mm. the phrase. Is it possible to fall away from Jesus, to fall away from your salvation, to fall away from grace? And Paul uses that phrase in Galatians 5. That that you could do so by going, trying to appease the law in itself without, without Jesus, yeah, without the, the new covenant. And the key word there really for us is trust. He's, you know, it's if you trust the law for your salvation rather than trusting Jesus. So the reason you'd get circumcised is you believe, well, if I don't get circumcised, I'm not going to be a Christian. Well, the only thing that makes you not a Christian is if Jesus didn't die for you yeah. or you don't trust the, the work of Jesus. So, um, But it is a warning not to let your heart drift to trusting in the law rather than trusting in behavior and obedience rather than trusting in Jesus. Yeah. Okay, the next one is uh, Romans eleven eighteen through 22. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Now, that's an interesting, in that passage, Paul's talking about how the Jews were the original tree of God. Yeah. And unbelieving Jews, Jews who don't believe in Christ, have been cut out of the tree, and Gentiles have been grafted into the tree by faith. And he's saying, but don't get arrogant about that, because just like those branches were broken off, you could be broken off too. And um, if he didn't spare the natural branches, then he might not spare you either. So yeah, uh, this idea that you too will be cut off, that it's possible, having been grafted into the tree, that you would become ungrafted. And this seems to me maybe to guard against 
some early anti-Semitism in the church. People being like, well, since we're the new people of God, it's not for the Jews anymore. That seems to be what he's kind right. of saying. is like, hey, it's not that. It's it's that if you denied him, you too will be will be off the tree. Yeah, and, and he's talking about spiritual arrogance and pride. Mm-hmm. However, the the question remains, is it possible that you really could be taken out of the tree because you got arrogant? Sure. Revelation twenty two nineteen. If anyone takes away the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. In other words, if you tamper with the word of God, your name will be erased from the book of life. Well, that's freaking intense. Uh, that's very intense. And there's a few more. Let's go through these pretty quick. Okay, 1 Corinthians nine twenty seven. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Now, there you go. What, what does he mean, be disqualified? Um, the idea is that perhaps he means that if I don't keep my body under submission and live by faith and just give my flesh whatever it yearns for, I might end up being disqualified um, from the kingdom. First Corinthians 15, one and two. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now that, that seems to, there are the languages you are being saved and you have to hold fast to your faith to the finish. Otherwise to the you would have of your, to the end. Yeah. yeah. Or else you would have believed in vain. Let's do two more. Okay, uh, following that is Colossians one twenty two and 23. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Man, you know, if my grandmother, my Annie Mae, my grandmother Bursby, mm-hmm. always said that if is the biggest word in the dictionary. So he presents you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. So that's a big if there. Yeah. So meaning uh, that it's possible to, to, to fall away. So uh, uh, let's go to one that's, to me, very terrifying. <laughs> go uh, to the, the scariest for, uh, of them second, all. Yeah, Second Peter chapter 2, and this is verse 20 to 22, verse for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Jesus, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Man. It's uh, pretty sobering. So um, let me ask you this, John. Based on you know hearing all of these scriptures, just kind of pow, 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 pow. Sure. Um, what, what do you think so far? Well, it jumped out at me. And again, we talked last week about um, verses you know, that you've read a hundred times slapping you in the face. Is the Romans one talking about that the... Um, the legalism is as insulting to the sacrifice of, of Jesus as the depravity is. Returning mm-hmm. to legalism is, uh, in in these verses, it is rejecting your sacrifice in the same way that this kind of a return to, to hedonism and, and, and self-pleasure would be. Which well, is really it's exactly like, 
Yeah, it's exactly like uh, making the golden calf. You know, God delivers them, parts the water, rescues them, does the plagues, feeds them manna in the desert, you know, does all this stuff. And then Moses goes on a hill for 40 days and they make a golden calf. And Aaron holds up that calf and says, behold, the God who delivered you from Egypt. (laughs) And so, uh, uh, so that's when you trust in the law, when you trust in your performance, when you say obedience is the deal, you're basically saying Jesus died for nothing. Yeah. And that's the problem with trusting in your obedience as what keeps you in heaven. I, I have always said it this way, you know, if, if, if me being perfect wasn't required for me to get into heaven, why is suddenly now me being perfect required to stay there? Yeah. Well, I remember when I was a teenager, I was taught in a, in a setting of a youth event that um, if you're making out with your girlfriend in the back of the car, when the rapture comes, you ain't going. Or if you're driving 75 in a 50 and you're breaking the speed limit when Jesus comes, you're not going. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Then what exactly is it that Jesus did for me? Right. Then what's the point? Right. I, it makes sense to me that people would find these, um, these differences irreconcilable, irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. Irreconcilable. You had it right. Yeah. It's too too many, too many noises. I I thought it couldn't be right. (laughs) Uh, how do they, man, I guess maybe it's too early to ask how they come together. Well, let me, let me, let's, let's set up what the problems are. Sure. Sure. Okay. One problem is that I live insecure, wondering if Jesus still likes me because I did a bad thing. And, you know, we, the scriptures are clear that God loves you even when you suck. He loved you when you suck. And he's going to love you if you keep sucking. Now, uh, that doesn't mean then, Paul would say this, so do we go on sinning because grace abounds? No. So you don't abuse the grace of God, but the grace of God does hold you in the family, even though you're unworthy of it. So is it then just an issue of, because they they don't talk a whole lot about faith, Uh, I think maybe except for one of them, where they say, or where we say, you know, we are saved uh, by faith through, or by grace through faith. And then it goes on, and this not of yourselves, it was a gift of God. So even your mm-hmm. faith to believe was a gift from God, which that'll play into the eternal uh, divine election. Yeah. That that God gives people he wants to redeem the faith to believe it, and he doesn't give it to people who he doesn't want to redeem. So if the big question then is, can you lose your salvation? It seems the second list we read says over and over again, yes. Well, that is apparently, uh, at least they seem to say that. And this then is the issue. Um, it depends on which syllable you put the emphasis on, uh, because these scriptures do, you know, at one side, uh, encourage you to rest in the finished work of Jesus and stop even asking the eternal question. Paul at one point says, I don't even judge myself. Um, because he rests in the finished work of Jesus. Yeah. The other passages say, don't neglect and abuse such an amazing faith because you weren't redeemed with silly things like silver and gold, but you were purchased with the blood of God himself. And so take that seriously and participate in that and don't abuse it. So the question is, does that call not to abuse your faith, not to abuse God's grace? Is that a warning that it could be removed from you if you do, in fact, abuse it? Or is it simply 
warning you not to fall into that way of thinking. Yeah. All right. So let's do uh, show and tell, John. Sure, sure. Then we'll take our commercial break, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to show you one passage of Scripture that, as I was reading this week, blew my mind, and to me it reconciles this whole conversation. Man, I can't wait. Well, you, <laughs> you did not tell me what that was before this. I'm, I'm genuinely excited. Yeah. Uh, okay. All so, right. Show so, and tell. So my show and tell, as per usual, my show and tell is kind of a, a story, the story if I originally got this item. So my uh, brother-in-law, Brian, was a uh, army ranger for a long time, and he got, I think I've told a few of the gifts that I've got from him. Uh, and this is not one of them, actually. He, he's a master gift giver. Master gift giver. And uh, so he got my dad, and maybe, I don't, I don't think Tim got one of these. He might have, uh, a watch. Uh, and I don't really remember to the extent that the watch is used or not used in the military, but I know it's a high standard watch. It, it, it's waterproof up to a certain depth. It's a G-Shock D something. I've, I only know the exact model number or knew the exact model number because of replacing the batteries, which and it is the like, watch that it is the watch that he and all his Ranger buddies wore. Okay. Uh, in deployments. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the battery lasted for like, what, like seven years almost. That was a long time. Anyway, yeah. uh, really, really cool d- digital watches. And uh, he got one for my dad when I was like, well, if the timeline works out, maybe I, maybe I was like 16 or 17. Mm. And uh, for a little while, you took it off because you got an Apple Watch. So you were wearing yeah. this Apple Watch for a little bit. And so this was just in your closet. And so I asked you if I could start wearing it. So my senior year of high school, uh, or, or maybe the end of my junior year, I don't remember how long exactly I wore it. It was a long time. But I wore your watch. Uh, for a very long time, got really used to it. Um, at people, especially in high school, it was like, a, "Wow, you wear a watch? Like, what do you, you know?" In general, <laughs> in general, actual adults don't care what's on your wrist. But in high school, it was weird. It was like, "Well, you have a phone, don't you?" And it's like, "Yeah, but this way I don't have to look at my phone. I can just look at the time." Right. Anyway, I got really attached to this thing, and I got the tan line and everything. And uh, and then you say, you say, "Hey, it's time, I want it back. It's time to give me my watch back." I got sick of my Apple Watch. Yeah, and uh, sorry, uh, Michael Womack a few weeks ago was talking all about his Apple Watch. This I know, is, and he's got me. He's got me almost persuaded to try it again. He's got Lindsay almost persuaded to try one. She said the other day, "I think I want an Apple Watch." And I said, "I knew they should have paid Michael for that that promo." <laughs> it's working. He did sell it well. Yeah. So anyway, I throw a bit of a fit. I say, you know, squatting rules. I've had this thing for long enough. It should just be mine. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I give it back to you, and then. Um, Soon before my 18th birthday, I give it back to you. And then one of my guests for my 18th birthday is a uh, uh, same model, brand new one. Yeah. And so uh, I'm obviously excited. You have people who love you yeah, all around you. I do. And you made a joke that I should give you the new one. I should take the old one. And I said, yes, no. That I'll... would that was very typical of me to do something <laughs> like that. <laughs> so I took that one. Then I've had it ever since. Uh, the new one. I took the new one to clarify. And soon after that, at the end of that uh, year of high school... Went to Haiti, and uh, some of the paint that we had there, for some reason, left, like, these weird oil marks on there, which oh, I don't yeah. mind at all, because I kind of, whenever I see them, it reminds me of, of painting painting in uh, in Haiti. And uh, very sentimental to me. Uh, we, me. The fact that me and you and, and Brian have one is very cool. Yeah. Uh, they're cool watches on their own anyway. I really enjoy wearing one. Um, yeah. Just recently replaced the bands on both of ours because mine had snapped yeah. and then yours had just gotten something on it and then the batteries on both so presumably they'll be going for a lot longer they're very meaningful yeah. to me yeah 
And uh, maybe next show and tell, we can talk about a gift I gave to each of my sons uh, this Christmas, and we all have the identical Ooh. one as well. Well, that's up to you. It'll be your it'll be your show and tell. All right. Hey, let's take a commercial break. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. Okay, welcome back. So we're going to wrap up the discussion, and uh, and you're going to talk about this <laughs> verse that blew your mind. Yeah, so, and I wasn't even thinking about this eternal security debate, which I have had in my entire Christian life, because like I said, uh, I believed you know, they say that you'll you'll view God the way you view your dad, and I never did understand that. Sure. And then I realized uh, this is how that works for me at least. You will think God views you the way you think your dad viewed you. So because my dad was uh, performance-driven yeah. and I had to win in order to get his affection and his attention, I assumed that's how God viewed me as well. And so when I became a Christian, I became a very high-performance Christian. I witnessed everybody that moved. I read my Bible more than anybody. I prayed more than anybody. No one was going to wow God with their obedience more than me because I wanted God's affection. Yeah, God wasn't going to show up to your races if you didn't do this. Exactly, and it it just ruined my Christianity for mm-hmm. a long stretch. I could not I could not rest in God's unconditional love for me. And so, uh, you know, meanwhile, I'm hearing people say, it's not once saved, always saved. You can backslide. Don't be backslidden. And they would describe hmm. people as backslidden Christians. And I remember my, uh, my high school marijuana brownie guys, you know, I asked them, they, cause they're telling me about eternal security and, you know, Hey, I'm saved. It doesn't matter what I do. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Is Judas Iscariot in heaven? And they're like, what? I'm like, Judas, you know, the guy who betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Yeah. Uh, and the Bible's clear that he's not in heaven. And they go, well, that's because he was never really saved. So then if you find somebody who once was a Christian, but now they're just crazy out of their mind sinners, their escape path is, well, they know they must have never really been saved because sure. the, the Calvinist doctrine is that if you've truly experienced the grace of God, it's so irresistible that you will not turn from it. And so uh, that's that's the hatch there. But here's here's where I, I'm reading the other day in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this punched me right in the face about this and actually uh, eliminates all of my uh, confusion about it. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, 
he will also disown us. Hmm. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, all of a sudden, this jumped out at me. I was thinking about the difference between faithless and disowning. Right. Because if I disown him, he disowns me. Right. That's, that's but the, if I, the out. Yes. But if I'm faithless, he remains faithful. So here's how this works, I think. I, I was thinking in my mind about comparing it with a man who cheats on his wife. There's a, you know, a man might be faithless to his wife, but he doesn't disown her. And um, maybe that's how God is seeing this. Like if I am faithless, which unfortunately um, I I am probably more times than I would care to admit. Sure. Um, he remains faithful. Why? Because he can't disown himself. He promised to be faithful. As did I, but I'm breaking my promise all the time. But his grace covers my inability to keep my promise. But if I disown him, he will also disown me. So that's if you if you leave. Is that what that is that what that means when you say disown? Yes, I think that one of the ways I've described this is I've had debates with Calvinists over the years, friends of mine, is they would say, "Hey, once you're sitting at the table with Jesus, you you never lose your seat." And I say, "Yes, that's true, but you can push your chair away and say, "I'm tapping out. I don't want to be here anymore." And of course they say, well, if you were truly saved, you wouldn't say that you right. would, you would never, you would never say that. But this seems to indicate that, uh, if we endure, we get to reign with him. So there will be some of us who do not get to reign with him because we didn't endure, but that doesn't mean we weren't saved. The Bible talks about some people will be saved as through the fire, like they barely get in <laughs> and others, uh, are deeply anchored in their faith and living a vibrant faith at the end of their life. Yeah. So, but then if we're faithless, he remained faithful. But if we disown him, if we say, I reject you, I hate you, I want nothing to do with you, I don't want to, I don't want to believe in you anymore, that he will also disown us. So again, not to dunk on your high school classmates too much, but these guys would not have said they disowned Jesus. That's correct. So they They were being faithless. They were being faithless. But they still, they still get, they were right. They still get that check paid at the end of their, their life. Well, here's the thing I've learned. The only person's eternal destiny I can ever know is my own. I think two things will be true when we get to heaven. We will be shocked who got in and we will be shocked who ain't there. Hmm. And so I really, it's a waste of time to concern yourself with the salvation of anybody else but yourself. So for me, the eternal security question is purely a personal one because I would never set to decide whether someone is or is not sure. in heaven. I'm just using them to continue the the um, the example. But I guess yes. so when I'm I, I'm not I'm not satisfied. When when you know, we talk about the <laughs> uh, the the people you know Jesus, I, I did all these things in your name, and he says, I didn't know you. Those aren't people, I assume, who fully disowned Jesus, right? Yes, yes. So what is that about? Well, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. Sure. You're talking about like in in, um, in the Gospels when Jesus says, uh, they will say, hey, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. 
and I will say, away from me, I never knew you. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. The, the, as you uh, did to the least of these, you did for me. You know, that kind of. Now, that's Matthew 25, and that seems to indicate that uh, that your eternal destiny is based entirely on what you did or did not do. Yeah. But James makes it clear that faith without action is not faith at all. That faith can't save you. So to really believe in Jesus, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. So obedience is an indicator of your love. So the Bible, the New Testament marries the concepts, the concept of faith and obedience together and and considers them inseparable. In other words, it would be impossible to say, I believe in God, while I also make zero effort to obey God. Yeah. Again, these are reasons that one should inspect their own heart and be uh, convinced about the condition of their own faith, not somebody else's. Sure. So, John, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Yeah. Yeah, I would. And why, why do you have that confidence? Uh, because I think, I think Jesus knows me. I think we have a relationship. I think I know him. I recently watched something about how knowing about God and knowing God are different things. And I think we have a tendency to make things palatable like that, to make truths that simple. But I think that one is is similar to that, where um, the relationship is necessary. And I I have one. I guess the, the analogy the guy made was like, you show up to your friend's house and you say, hey, I'm here to... Spend the night, let me in. He goes, and and this guy has never seen you before in his life. And you've read about him a lot or something like that. You know a lot about him. But he's like, I don't actually, you know, you can't stay in my home. I don't know who you are. That kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like the sons of Sceva in, uh, I think it's the book of Acts. They had had gotten themselves a a teaching about demon deliverance. And so they're going around trying to cast devils out of people. Yeah, I remember that. And they say to this guy, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon says, well, Paul, I know, and Jesus, I know, but who are you? Yeah. And then he beats him up. <laughs> right. So uh, I think that's great. I think I think that God, what God has always wanted from the Garden of Eden on is relationship. And so um, I think you, you nailed it that you have a relationship with God. Uh, but your security is based not on your ability to be a good relationship partner. Your confidence is based on the on the. Uh, purchase of your freedom by the blood of Jesus that legally nailed your condemnation to the cross. Hmm. That's where my hope is. Yeah. I know, I know I'll go to heaven when I die because Jesus nailed my condemnation to the cross. And I trust that for my salvation with the faith that he gave me to trust. And so now I have an ongoing relationship with him where I talk to him every day I was talking to him about 30 minutes before we got on this to record. Uh, you know, I have a relationship with him, just like you say. I, I am participating in Christ because of what he did for me. And so I have no doubts that I will that I have eternal life and that I'm living that eternal life even today. Yeah. So these philosophical conversations about other people, well, what if a guy did this? What if a guy did that? You know, they really are in some ways a waste of time because the only the only conversation worth having is what are you doing? You know, when somebody asks me, can a gay person be a Christian? I want to say, well, let's not talk about some mythical person that's not here with us. Let's talk about you. What do you do with your genitals? <laughs> and, uh, you know, right away, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And and I kind of feel like we're, you're, you waste your time talking about imaginary people 
or somebody else. Let's just talk to you know, I'll talk to you about me and you talk to me about you. Well, and I and I think these verses though, like like using these examples is a way to talk about myself. So like if in these examples of the Armenian the Armenian um curated examples where yeah. uh there are, you know, warnings not to give up on your on walking the the narrow path or however on 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 struggling and persevering all the way till you reach the the end to the end yeah that's not warning not to disown god that's warning not to quit trying so it's like it's and that is yeah. important to me as in if i if i do quit trying where is my salvation so so even even just focusing on myself i think it's still an important um they're important sources yeah it certainly is because um you know, in one of those passages, Paul goes on to say, but I think, but I hope, I believe better things for you. Mm. So it is scary that if you neglect so great a salvation, you're right. Yeah. But I believe better things for you. And the admonition is don't neglect the salvation. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard uh, because there's so much at stake and there's so much of God's grace and favor and uh, power to experience. Why waste your time? being um, distracted by riches, pleasures, or the worries of this life. Fix your mind on him and get on with the business of living an eternal kind of life right now. I think those are the encouragements, but the actual uh, possession or loss of your salvation, I don't think is the point. I think, I think it's clicking. I think I'll do my takeaway before I, before I lose it. That way, at least it's, right. it's immortalized and I can come back to this if I lose it. <laughs> uh, Let's hear it. I think it is that these are... Um, warnings that maybe aren't necessarily meant to be deliberated on. Because like you said, we're not here trying to determine anyone else's fate. So maybe we see these cautions and as kind of a buffer, right? The, we, you're, you're, you're working out your salvation like we talked about a few, probably a few months ago now, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. And uh, And these warnings are not hey do the math real quick and figure out if you're going to get to heaven they are right. hey keep going you can you can you know i don't know yeah, it, hold it, on don't sense? give up yeah, yeah it does yeah. it makes perfect sense so i guess and th- that would be it and the the reminder that this isn't um like we've said now this you're not the uh the bean counter for god on who's going to make it so don't <laughs> don't worry about that yeah don't waste any time with that yeah the other thing that that kind of you made me think of john is you know, um, whenever I was a youth pastor and and even going into youth groups, even, you know, recently, um, I'll I'll give them all an index card and a golf pencil and say, write down any question you want me to talk about. And then I'll just go through the cards anonymously and start answering questions. Sure. And, That's and there cool. are three, That's a really good idea. Yeah. And there are three questions that get asked every single time. I've probably done that 25 times. And these three questions have been asked every single time. Probably through different generations of, of kids, too. Like, like Gen X, Millennial, Gen Z. Yeah, that's true. Question one is, is masturbation sin? Bingo. Question two. Not surprising. (laughs) Question two, how far can I go on a date with my girlfriend before it's sin? (laughs) Also not surprising. Yeah. And the third one is, how can I know the will of God for my life? Those three questions every single time. And here's the thing. If you think about a road, you know, you have a right lane, a left lane, lane going one way, lane going the other. And, and then the guardrails. Sure. And the question 
that they're asking and what we're asking in this kind of, this is the stupid question. How close can I get to the edge of the road before I actually fall off? (laughs) Right. You're asking. And the question, the question ought to be, how do I ride right down the middle of the lane with God? (laughs) Yeah. But we don't ask that question. We don't ask, how can I, how can I flourish with God? We ask, how much sin can I actually get away with before there's a problem? How much of that pie can I actually eat before it's, you know, it's, it's too much. Exactly. So the whole question is wrong in that regard. We should be asking instead of, um, what can I get away with? We should be asking, how can I become even more possessed by God? Yeah. And how can I further, um, do the will of God? Yeah. And and we've talked a lot about this is going long. I, I swear I won't make it too much longer of a tangent. But um, the descriptors of Jesus of the new um, commandment uh, or, or of the greatest commandments that he says and and his descriptors of not knowing somebody are proactive. They are not uh, proactive for the good. They are they are things that you did um, to show his love to others. So loving your neighbor as yourself and, and loving God more than anything. Right. And then. Right what you did for the least of these being the widow, the prisoner, the, the poor, they are not, um, you did this many bad things. It is, you did these things for the, the disenfranchised. So, which I think is another, um, um, a unique facet to our, to our faith and is an, is an important factor of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Do you have a takeaway? All right. Uh, I think we covered mine. Okay. Well, sweet. All right. Hey, we are really grateful for listening. Want to encourage you, if this episode's encouraging to you, share it with a friend. And uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John. And uh, really grateful for you listening. Yeah, always grateful. And, uh, and yeah, we would love if you contacted us. Be sure to follow our Instagram page if you haven't already. We do a post uh, uh, every episode uh, for just as, you know, the title of it and then a brief description. And, uh and yeah, and John, you'll you'll put a picture of your watch on our uh, blog as well. I am. I am still very behind and very many apologies, but they're coming. <laughs> I promise. I'm having Lindsay take really good pictures of all of the the stuff. So, oh, good, good. Yeah, it'll be good. All right, awesome. Have a great day. <laughs>